Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Welcome back to Council Culture, uh, the business of law podcast. Uh, this week, uh, I am joined by uh, Victoria Ritchie from HSBC. Hello, Victoria. How are you? Hi. Hi, Megan. Hi. Great to be here. Thanks. Um, cool. So let's get started. So this week, you're here to kind of tell us more about um, the annual survey that you guys put out. Usually, I think it's September. Uh, so the one that came out at, in September 2023 looked at... Um, trends for the legal industry in terms of investments for uh, end of 2023 and 2024. Uh, why don't you tell me more a bit uh, about the survey itself, how you guys came to kind of create this, why you're doing it uh, annually? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, um, so really, uh, this is the fourth edition uh, of the report, um, and uh, and the reason we 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 do this is that HSBC supports about sixty nine percent of the top one hundred firms uh, with their banking solutions, and many many firms beyond the top one hundred. Um, so, we feel it's important uh, to our clients to have a banking partner who knows and understands the market opportunities, challenges, and provide ideas and solutions. Um, and so given our coverage of the market and the fact that many CFOs, managing partners, CEOs are making lots of strategic decisions based on their business, the report we believe really allows for firms to have insight into the sector, um, to be able to support their own decision making. Yeah. Um, and the report really is a, is a tool for, for our clients as well as their clients and suppliers is what we've also had some feedback on um, to get some insight into the sector as well as, you know, creating greater awareness of where HSBC are able to offer, we believe, proactive services to support those in the sector. Mm. Great. Um, so the 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 report this year covered uh, several categories uh, and uh, several of them. So let's start with one of them, which was the basis period reform, which obviously yeah. is coming into play. I guess yeah. it's in April this year. Uh, so we're going into the tr- the transition year, which is going to be tricky for a lot yeah. of partners and firms. Um, so in the report, uh, 32% of firms say they'll be looking at additional working capital borrowing to pay a part of the tax um, for, for that transition year. Uh, from your point of view, kind of as a bank and kind of financial advisor, um, are you guys setting up systems or kind of repayment schemes to help them achieve that? Mm-hmm. So we know from the report that basis period reform of those interviews, about 70 percent of the firm surveys are going to be impacted by this. Yeah. And um, but it's regulation we've been aware of for a couple of years now. Yeah. I think it's fair to say the activity in 2023 really did bring to life the impact this was going to have on a number of those that were, were or are going to be impacted. Yeah. And so as a bank, we've been offering support in multiple ways, including helping firms through strategic strategic reviews of cash reserves and cash management, Um, offering support through webinars and events about unlocking lockup, which is, we believe, a a sort of a vehicle to support um, that uh, sort of uh, additional, um, I suppose, additional um, strain that this may put on uh, a firm's working capital Mm -hmm. as they go through this transitionary change, should they choose to do it. And then supporting uh, partner contributions through the likes of 
partner capital loans yeah. um, and also really finally supporting through um, you know, the provision of additional lending into the firms. But we know that as a sector that employs about, you know, 3,000, 368,000 uh uh, in the UK alone and contributing about 34 billion into the UK economy. Mm. We know how important it is for, you know, we know how important the sector is and we continue to support the legal sector through this transitional phase where there is need. Um, but, you know, like any business, each business case is assessed based on multiple criteria. However, noting that, you know, the legal firms generally by nature are counter-cyclical and multidisciplinary, um, you know, HSBC have remained very active, you know, and very supportive of the sector. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because um, one of my clients was saying that they don't seem a lot of partners don't seem to realize that it affects them <laughs> primarily rather than the firm. But um, yeah. so in terms of borrowings, you know, is there going to be an interest rate on that? And what would a firm or a partner require to have, for example, the the loans from the banks and that kind of stuff? And what what can happen if they don't have access to that and they don't have the cash to pay for the for the tax? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, so, um, you know, we would take an account of, of the business. There's a multiple criteria and it's not a one size fits all approach. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, as we say, we've been very open about supporting firms through this transition. Um, so, and, and most firms should by now have gone through some sort of cash flow and budgetary review as to yeah. what they believe will be the impact the reform will have on their financial position and then be able to discuss it. Um, you know, with us as their bankers around what that impact would look like and what they might need. And I mean, to be frank, if they haven't done by now, it does need to be addressed. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's an, an emergency at this point. <laughs> absolutely. It really is. Um, uh, but, you know, should there be a limited event where a firm was unable to borrow, then there really are other levers that a firm should look at. And I would really encourage them to seek alternative ways and managing cash flows through strong cash management. And that does um come out actually in the in the survey around um you know being really um strong with uh, collecting cash managing mm. lockup for example yeah okay maybe not popular but seeking additional equity from partners um yeah looking at managing partner distributions or, or um, considering merger and acquisitions. And there would be a number of reasons why a firm might consider that, um, but whether that might be a consolidation or third-party th- funders just to be able to, you know, continue to, to, to survive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because on the cash point, so in the, in the report it says that 66% of the uh, firms that were surveyed said they – uh, they would use their cash reserves mm. to pay for a, a part of of that tax. It's interesting because I mean I was a former journalist right at, at Lotto Common uh, at the time when we were doing the the um, the financials every year. We found out that actually most firms didn't have enough cash reserves, and since then, since like maybe two three years ago, they've been kind of ramping up on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, do you think do you, do you not think it would be a bit dangerous uh, to kind of um, bank on those cash reserves when we've got an economy right now worldwide that's a bit volatile and uncertain and, you know, 
that cash might absolutely be helpful for other things than than tax. Yeah, I I, I agree, Megan. I, I think you know certainly um you know if we think about the post pandemic or certainly in the pandemic and post pandemic, you know firms were um certainly thriving um yeah. and cash um reserves were piling up. Now I think there is definitely a need to start using some of those cash reserves. We're seeing it to make investment decisions, mm. uh, such as those that might uh, look at you know. Um, uh, technology as a prime yeah. example. Um, but I do think that firms that have suggested utilising the cash reserves um, have uh, already had the cash reserves in place and have already done um, the sort of the analysis to see what um, mechanisms they might need to, um, you know, sort of look at pay, uh, you know, look, look at the basis period of form uh, or indeed a strategy to ensure they do. And taking this approach in conjunction with the other op- options I discussed earlier, um, you know, it would be prudent for mm-hmm. firms to continue to hold cash reserves outside client monies. Yeah. Um, and that can be obtained through different ways. So, you know, managing the profits and distributions yeah. um, or putting in place some lending facilities, for example, for contingency uh, purposes. Um, and back to the point we raised earlier, about 59% of firms surveyed uh, in the HSBC report cited that improving financial management, for mm. example, back to good old lockup, would also be an action for them to take to fund the reform. So, I, I you know, not, not forgetting, of course, that if you do have cash, you are obviously getting that little bit more interest now than you were a couple of years ago. Yeah. So I would say it's, it's it's imprudent to ensure that the legal firms um, continue to hold a certain amount of cash reserves. Yeah. And uh, on the investments points now, um, it's the brighter side of things, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ESG was a particular focus in the report. Um, and so um, in the report, it says that a lot of law firms are keen to meet or introduce KPIs relating to environment. Um, and as part of that, one in 10 said in the report that they were screening clients based on their environmental credentials and targets, which, you know what? I've not heard that very often, uh, and I was actually quite interested in that point. I mean, mm-hmm. as a client of a law firm, um, do you have any ESG requirements for them to reach to be appointed by HSBC or... Well, I mean, we've we've definitely seen a change in the legal sector. I, I yeah. do I do make that point around. Yeah, I mean, obviously, clients have said that they they are going to pre-screen, but we know the importance that is being placed on ESG. We feel it ourselves, um, um, and and you know, we've seen that the results um, in the survey this year on the subject of ESG has has uh, has changed exponentially. So, for yeah. example, forty eight percent of firms survey now have KPIs yeah. and 34 plan to have in 12 months. Not Noting this report was shared in Q3 uh, 2023, I, I should imagine that that number has increased. Yeah. Um, I'm also aware of the impact that you know, this actually has. Um, we've seen transition to B Corp. So I think about two and a half percent of the top 200 uh, are now B Corp accredited. Um, we should expect there to be more of those. Yeah. And anecdotally, uh, it's been confirmed that as 
a consequence, they've attracted more B Corp clients and have seen, you know, growth in new clients since their accreditation. Mm. I mean, so this has been a change and and therefore it's not a surprise to hear your statistic about the client screening. But let's face it, we're all going to have to adapt um, to the importance of ESG and play our own parts. Um, You know, ongoing regulation, we can expect ESG credentials will be adopted throughout the whole supply chain. And with regulation, however, does come consistency of approach. So I do think we're going to see much more uh, focus on ESG, um, uh, you know, across the industry. For sure. It's it's really interesting to me because I feel like a lot of the time the law firms implementing these types of ESG and DNI initiatives comes from client demand. But now to see that the firms are actually also scrutinizing their own clients mm-hmm. for these things, I mean, it's definitely positive because I think, yes. it's, as you say, it's everyone needs to think about these things. Correct, uh, yeah. I wonder how that's going to change the relationship between the in-house teams and, and their external advisors um, as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that. Well, I mean, look, I think, you know, from an ESG perspective, um, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, looking at our latest publicly available ESG review, um, we've referenced that we aim to support customers Mm. uh, and suppliers through transition. Um, So, you know, for example, um, looking to help finance the transformation of businesses and the infrastructure uh, is key to building the sustainable future for our customers, society, our suppliers suppliers um, and we're aiming to help our customers transition to net zero um, through providing facilitating about to 750 billion to 1 trillion of sustainable finance and investment mm. by 2030 so that's all there um, we've, we've declared it um, but I, I think our sustainable finance ambition has enabled sustainable infrastructure for energy systems yeah. decarbonation efforts across the real economy and enhancing investment to capital through sustainable investment. So equally, our survey um, expressed that 63% um, it's, uh, of, of those surveyed have expressed how important it is for, for them to work with a bank that has clear, yeah. sustainable commitments and provide practical support to help them navigate this. So I think we're in a great position to be able to, to, to help uh, clients and suppliers um, through this journey. For sure, especially when you think about, you know, firms trying to move offices for something a bit more, you know, environmentally friendly and all that stuff. I guess there's a lot of considerations there that they might need you guys as helpful. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Rent and whatnot, yeah. yeah. I mean, I can't remember the last time, Megan, I didn't talk to a firm that hadn't talked about sustainability yeah. um, in one way, shape or another. And that might include, as you say, office um, space, um, ensuring that there is a sustainable uh, or some, some sustain, something sustainable about that. That decision uh, certainly is, is, you know, it certainly is up there in terms of um, decision making. the survey i mean it's it's pretty clear that um the firms have invested a lot into kind of growth as well um uh recently um whether that's in their own uk operations or uh, abroad uh what are some of the biggest uh financial concerns that um might be barriers to investing in tech or talent or uh, overseas expansion that you're seeing right now 
Mm, yeah, I mean, I listened to a podcast recently. It was really, it was a really interesting comment. I can't say it wasn't Byfield, uh, Megan. It was another one. I do, I do occasionally <laughs> listen to others, uh, but it was a really interesting comment because it, it, it the, that they made, and it said that the legal industry is changing at a pace like never before, um, as the professional services market in its current current form is being disrupted, and and that certainly resonates with the conversations that I'm having with. Yeah. Our clients today. Um, you know, if you think about it, there's, you know, the list is endless. You know, we've just come out of uh, post pandemic, things were going well, and suddenly, you know, geopolitical uncertainty, war on inflation. talent and retention, inflation, <laughs> you know, alternative legal services that, you know, there still is a bit of a threat there, regulation, gosh, cybersecurity, reviewing of office spaces, costs, margins, client demand, you know, you name it. It's just, it's all coming. In every direction, isn't it? Um, You know, firms are thinking about diversifying their practice um, uh, areas or jurisdictions, navigating new markets, investigate, you know, investing in new technologies and all of that. They've got to keep clients and employee engaged and satisfied and continue to make year on year profits, strong revenue growth and increased margins. I mean, there's a lot uh, on, you know, if you're if you're running a law firm, there's a lot going on at the moment. Yeah. For sure, it's really stressful. <laughs> and, and conflicting, uh, you know, um, to overcome, uh, you know, and plan for, actually. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, furthermore, I think there's growing recognition around many companies that organic growth, even if it can be attained, is no longer sufficient to keep, keep pace with the rate of change. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, for us, you know, we're an international, international bank and we've got, over 50 countries in our network. Um, so we, we believe that we can support clients with offering really local support and advice in those jurisdictions, as well as, you know, yeah. helping clients growth, um, through all stages of the business cycle. Um, and that could be anything from M&A to just offering lending solutions, international yeah. cash management to really support the success of a, of a, of a firm's day to day needs, um, efficiently. Um, but the question I would always us to a client if they're looking to expand or grow is why mm. and what are you looking to achieve you know what are your motivations and why now yeah. and we can go on to discuss how you know options for how but yeah. those are the crucial questions why why now um and what are your motivations that's really helpful i think for a lot of people right now um so in terms of i mean i think that's going to be my last kind of questions um because i know you've got a hard stop but um so from your point of view do you, are you seeing law firms managing their finances well um is there anything in particular that they're doing very well and then not so well and that they could improve on um yeah i mean often when asked this question i mean we yes you appreciate you know the bank we engage a lot with the finance department but obviously the management partners are brought into into these discussions but i think there's always when you're asking about the finances and how well they manage i think there's always a tendency to look directly at the finance team yeah. however however given that in general the law firm structure is a partnership the management of finance i believe is is, is both a cultural and a C-suite imperative. Mm. And the success of a firm's finances sit with all partners um, and, and they need to understand what it is about the, their own business, um, the role of the finance department. Um, and while they may pay for the department to oversee the finances and indeed offer solutions and direction, a successful firm are those 
I believe, that are culturally aware of the role the whole firm needs to play in managing the finances, mm. agree the priorities and investments. Um, so there's always a consideration uh, as to whether the traditional approaches of legal firms, such as the billable hour, for example, needs to yeah. change. Yeah. And there's a school of thought that those who have changed their approach ha- here, as an example, are reaping the rewards. So the obvious one is that the sector is notorious for is the increased discipline with reducing lockup. So, which I could probably spend a whole podcast covering, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> Maybe for another time. <laughs> Absolutely. But no, thank you so much. Was there anything else you wanted to kind of uh, share or discuss before we end this? Well, no, I, I think I think I think you know, as as much as um, there's lots and lots of conflicting priorities, um, you know, as I go back to you know the part we play within the UK economy is huge, in the in the you know the the sector plays a huge part, um, yeah. and has continued to be resilient, um, you know, certainly through a number of difficult situations over the last few years. So I anticipate that that the legal firms will continue uh, to be resilient into 2024. Um, but uh, you know, as HSBC, we're 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 very much here to, to here to help, um, which is probably a real takeaway for us um, in this podcast. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me this week, Victoria. Uh, always a pleasure. And um, to everyone listening, uh, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. And uh, we'll be back next week for another episode. Thanks. Thank you, Megan. You've been listening to Council Culture, the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week where we'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector.